RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. Here at Reality Check Radio in our promos, we say that we want to hear all sides of the story, and we mean that. Now, people will be aware that we've talked to Julian Batchelor from Stop Co-Governance NZ on this program and on this station. So it's only fair and right that we hear, like I say, all sides. So I want to welcome Tahuya Bill Hamilton, Treaty Educator, to RCR. Kia ora, Bill. Great to have you. Thanks for making time. Kia ora, Paul. Great to be here. Okay, I want to read this um, quote from an Itangata article. To have a constitutional conversation, you've got to rip your heart open and say, these are the values that we have. These are the things that are important to us. How shall we make them work together? Rip your heart open. Well, I've had yeah. quadruple bypass. I know what that's like. Well, <laughs> yeah. Well, in Māori, we use a lot of metaphor. and yeah. um, But I think the point I'm trying to make there is we've always avoided talking with each other about a constitution for New Zealand. We've either fed into a government process or we've been, Māori have made loud noises um, about how how a constitution might look at, uh, how, how a constitution might look. And um, and Geoffrey Palmer did some work around it, I think in the 1970s or 80s or something like that. And basically um, there was... There wasn't agreement about the relationship between a constitution and Tetariti. And so we're one of the few countries that doesn't have a written constitution. Um, and I think it 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 allows um it allows us to um you know to really attack each other's rights, really. Bill, give us a vision then of how a written constitution, the way you see it. Could be, should be. Well, I think if we go back to the treaty, what the treaty was about was about um, rangatiratanga, which is the all the authorities that sat with Māori communities, groups, based on the labels hapu, and it's now they talk about iwi being there, and it's just how they govern themselves. And when the Crown came in, it cre- created another type of government as well. And so the idea was that those two groups would work together. That was what the treaty promised. Um, Manu Bennett, he talked about it being a promise of two peoples to take the best possible care of each other. And in 1840, the two peoples were the British and were and Fano. Today, you know, the two peoples are Toiwi, who are more than just British people. They are the other people who have arrived here. And the, the constant in it is that uh, Rangatiratanga is... Uh, is the is the Maori um, decision making structures that have you know they they're sort of they're revitalizing or they're they're restoring themselves back to what they used to be and you know and and they're not working perfectly Paul I think I've got to be honest about that because in many ways they mimic um, business they m- mimic the crown and that's not what Rangatiratanga offers this country. Good. Tell us what it offers then. This is interesting. Okay. What's well, the, the point the two, of the difference? The two big things. Rangatiratanga is a, the the human right um, standard that's closest to Rangatiratanga is about self-determination. And there are some measures for self-determination, but they're basically about the right to plan and make decisions for yourselves. Now, that's a universal right. It's not doesn't just belong to Māori. Self-determination is, is universal. Every family has it. Every community has it. 
the right of self-determination to determine your own future. But the way Māori express it is through rangatiratanga. And there are some differences in how as, as to what's, um, what's important um, in the kāwanatanga space and the rangatiratanga space. So the kāwanatanga space is the crown space and the rangatiratanga space is tangata whenua. And there are differences. There are differences on how the types of rules people put around to keep themselves safe, to keep themselves there. In Māori, we call that tikanga. In, in British law, we call it law, where there are different um, constitutional mores that exist. Um, and, you know, like the, the stuff that came from the, um, from the um, uh, Magna Carta, Yep. about individual rights and all that sort of stuff and ideas of democracy that came through from um from the russian uh, from the romans um they 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 act as constitutional norms there are constitutional norms called kawa that exist within maori and they have to do with things like they're, they're reflected in the belief systems and the histories and the things that are the non-negotiables about you know how you do things um the things that sit above tikang is how you do kawa. So I'll give you an example. Are you familiar with the porphyry process? Um, loosely, but I know what one is. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, porphyry is a kawa. How you do it is tikanga. Right. And and the other thing is that um, in, in te ao Māori, you know, like the three things about mana, um, mana is tied up, you know, the relationship between people and land and their belief system is, you know, they're all, all connected. They're not, um, and, you know, so that any hui, for example, will always start with a karakia, which is about the belief system. And it's not a, not a Christian one, necessarily a Christian one, but it may be. Mm. And, then it, and then it sort of acknowledges the people of the land, and that's very much like the way the Aboriginal people use welcome to country, but it's acknowledging the people of the land, and then it not acknowledges the people thirdly. So those three things, which are tied out with mana, which is about someone's dignity, prestige, um, that sort of stuff, it's the recognition of that. And that's, you know, that's fixed. That doesn't change its state. Um, just as some, you know, like, for example, Parliament, they have their prayer, and that's, you know, that, that's, that's part of the tech, part yeah. of the rules of the law. And, you know, and so there are similarities and differences. Um, in Māori, uh, the, prime, the, the most important unit is the family. In British law, the most important thing is the individual. And one of the things that we're um, grappling with is how do we have both of those things having equal weight? Because both of, the, both of those things do have to have a kind of equal weight, don't they? They have to. Yes, they do. Yep, they do. And that that's that's the debate, you know, like that's the debate that Māori often have with the government over, for example, the looking after of children. The government will say that that individual is prime and the and Māori will say no, family have to be linked in with that child. Yeah. And and you know, and that that's what the that's what that discussion is about. It's about having those two worldviews working together. That's what I think that was the question you asked me. Yeah, for. so the so the challenge, the challenge then is actually finding a way for them to work together, like on a daily, everyday 
yep. basis yep. in the operation yep. of a country yep. in a modern technological, sophisticated yeah. world, right? Yeah, and it's not the Crown saying you will do it this way. It's about the maturity of having those conversations to see which way works or which ways work. Look, you know, another example I can give of rangateratanga, which is the stuff that is least understood, is what happened when the cyclone recovery was done on, on the East Coast. Yeah. Now, within, you know, within 24 hours... The iwi on the and the Ngati Pro had taken out um, starlings and generators out to the families who, you know, who needed them. Yeah, it took for, for five days for the the government to do that sort of stuff. It took about five days for government to do that stuff, um, and and they did it for the whole community, not just the Māori people. That and yeah. that's how that's Rangatiratanga. In practice, or Mahu Marai, they set up a centre so that the people who were left homeless could stay there. They fed them, they clothed them, and that's Rangatiratanga in practice. They didn't wait for anyone to have to come and bring money or things like that. They just go and they found the resources and they did it. So when we're talking about Rangatiratanga, the two most important values that attach to that are Aroha, which I presume you've got an understanding of this. Yep. Yeah, and it's it's aroha is unconditional love. Yeah, it's not it's not just love; it's unconditional love. And the other one is manaki, which is about caring for people. And Professor Margaret Mutu would always, and Moana Jackson always used to say that. And Professor Margaret Mutu, she would always say that rangatiratanga is a responsibility to look after everybody, and yet that's not how it's being portrayed on these opposing co-governance. Things, you know, what it's saying is that we just, you know, that there's an elite bunch of Māori. They're wanting to do things for themselves. They're wanting to take over the country. And it's not true. Not true. Why, why do you think, why do you think they say that? Be, oh, look, I, I asked that question in the article. Is I, I, know, I know something that, that happened with Julian Baxter. He got a bit upset about some land he wanted to, pinch and he got held back and wasn't allowed to do it. Well, well, he has told that story for, yeah. through his, yeah, his yeah, version yeah, of yeah, it yeah, yeah. to us. And, and, yeah. and so, he's, so he's upset about that. Yeah. And But it just, it may, you know, and I, I wonder, you know, people like Don Brash and people like David Seymour is why do they, why do they feel so passionately anti-Maori that they don't only want to not do things themselves, but they don't want other people to do anything Māori as well. And I, I often want, you know, that's a question I ask in that article, is mm. why, do, why do they do that? Why do they say that co-governance is apartheid? Because co-governance is an agreed um, coming together and working together. Apartheid isn't. Apartheid is forced. It's yeah, not it's, le it's legislated second-class citizenship yeah, is what yeah, it is. Co-governance isn't. Okay, but um, do you think it's because there's a perception that through a co-governance kind of system that naturally there will be, given just the numbers on the numbers, the proportions, that there will be an unfair kind of um, allocation of power to the minority party in a relationship? Yeah, that's the argument, but the, but the reality of how co-governance work isn't that at all. Co-governance leads to sustainable solutions. Co-governance is about putting different views there 
and working them through and and agreeing them. Just about if you if you go to the co if you go to a um, I don't know someone's done a site on co governance and and they've talked about some of the models of co governance that exist now, and they they have nothing but kind words. I remember years back. I'm just I'm just trying to remember exactly when, but it was years back when there was a group called the um, in Te Arawa, in the Rotorua area, the Bay of Plenty District Council, a uh, regional council, and the Rotorua District Council, and the um, they they called it the Lakes Trust, which was the representative Māori group there. They got to group, got they got together and des- developed a project that would clean up the lakes. Yes, and I remember so, that. Yeah, yeah, well, the three of them worked together. And they uh, and they negotiated resource with Ministry of the Environment, and they've been working together, you know, 30, 30 years or so now. I remember interviewing the guy from the district council, who was who was into that shortly after it started, and he and I think they've been going together about eight months at that stage, and he told me that he was really really reticent about going into that because he didn't know. You know, he didn't know what was going to happen. He didn't, or any of that sort of stuff. He and by the time we'd finished talking, he said he couldn't think of any other way of working now, because it was such a good experience. And you know, and I, I, I saw some of the stuff they did earlier this year, and and they're cleaning up those lakes and in ways that um, they're weaving mats and putting them down on the lake beds, and the crawlies are coming back again, and the the old you know the foreign weeds dying, and so you've got a you've got a mix of science and and old knowledge. Yeah, coming Altered, together, working together. Yeah, and yeah. that's that's an example of co-governance. You know, and and I could I that guy's I forget his name, but I don't forget what he said. Yeah, he, and just the way he said it, he, and and he said he switched, you know, a hundred and eighty degree turn because and to the point that he couldn't imagine doing business in that community. Any other way, because well, it's good decisions. Helicopter that out to the running of a nation. Okay, so how I think people are curious when they hear about co-governance being talked about, and you know, um, I think you even have made a reference to shared citizenship. I could be wrong, but I, I've seen that term. Um, I'm going to ask you what that means in just a moment. But helicopter view: How does this country? And its institutions. What is your vision? How you see the mechanics of that operating uh, in a co-governance mode? Yeah, I th- I think that whatever at 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 some point of time, um, you know, it's going to be that melting pot sort of stuff. I think it's going to. But at the moment, um, I think you've got what we call the Rangatiratanga sphere, which is about you know iwi taking charge of. The development of their own people, and particularly in critical areas that are tied up with their well-being, which are tied up with, um, you know, their worldview, their stories, their their health, their education, their knowledge, and all that sort of stuff. Their families, and where they can take, where they, you know, they can take responsibility for it. And you know, I think what I'm not, I'm not, in, I'm not into um, national authorities or anything like that i'm not you know like i i think the maori health authority is useful but as long as it doesn't become a bureaucratic machine as long as it mobilizes iwi decision making on how to care about their children their people their families 
that that role there. So that, but um, I don't, I don't, you know, similarly with the Maori Education Authority, I don't, I don't see it as being a national thing. But I think because e- each iwi is, you know, diversity. Each iwi is different. You don't have two hoi people going into Ngāpuhi and saying this is how you'll do it. They'll do what Ngāpuhi says and how they do things. And, um, and yeah, can, think, can can yeah. the country afford? Because you just made the point. You know, you, you've got different interests, different you know groups, iwi's, etc. Authorities, yeah, yeah, yep. authorities. It's there's. People might say that there's a fragmentation sort of there compared to what we're used to, and that that the efficiency problems that come from that, you know, yeah, it's yeah. a nice to have, but the practical reality of operating that could be so involved and so full of duplication that you know we've only got so so many resources to go around. Has anyone who says that got a point? Um, if they're saying we can't have diversity, no, they haven't got a point. If that's what you're saying, you can't have diversity. Well, I guess it's the operation and, and accommodating everybody yeah. with a fair sort of um, a fair go, you know, of, of yeah. the resources that they need. There could be a lot of duplication in that if it's if it's replicated for each group. Yeah, well, you know, um, I think... You know, if you were to take Europe, put your hands around Europe and have a look at the number of languages and countries that exist on that one piece of dirt, you know, and a lot of people, you know, in Swiss, Switzerland, for example, they can't understand people who are only bilingual or trilingual mm. because they think they, they speak five or six languages. So, yeah, they do. Yep. you know, that'll, that'll be, you know, that that's one model of diversity. I think the other thing is that that what what the top-down stuff you're talking about which is what the crown is about. Um, it generally, you know, whether it whether it deliberately does it or doesn't do it deliberately, it generally favours um, a single a single demographic, and 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 it misses out on um, lots and lots of other people who you say they're marginalised, you know, and it's been doing that for 183 years at least here. And it, it it works for some people. It doesn't work for others. And I think what a, a us having a better idea about diversity um, works for everybody. Because, you know, as, as I said, the responsibility of rangatiratanga is to look after everybody. It's not just looking after Māori. And um, so I, I'm, I'm not sure. But we're sort of, you know, we're, we're talking here philosophically. But, yeah. you know, in a practical sense, you know, I can tell you, for example, you know, whether whether you believed in the vaccinations or not, that when Flaxmere opened the, the clinic for people there, a number of people who couldn't get into the services, the, you know, their, their doctors and stuff, they went to Flaxmere. They went from Havelock North to Flaxmere to go and get their vaccinations, and they got service there. This is and a was, sensitive question, Bill, now that you've yeah, raised it. I know, I know. It vaccines. Is, but... but I want to ask you this thing. It turns out it alters your genetic code. Is that something that Mari is comfortable with? Well, I, I'm I'm not qualified to, to... Well, I can tell you that it yeah, does, yeah, okay, because yeah, we've yeah. T- talked to experts. <clears> and, <throat> and you can argue around the margins of that, but philosophically, yeah. mm-hmm. can, how can you live with that? Well, I, all I'm telling you is, is how the program... How the how the program operated, and that it was yeah. inclusive. Now, whether it should have been inclusive, or whether it was a you know 
leading the lambs to slaughter is another discussion yeah. that I, you know, you and I can have. No, and we're not here to talk about that, but I'm just, no, no, you know, no, it, yeah. as we talk about things, things yep, yep. come up. And, you and, know. and by all means, you know, we're just two people talking and yeah. that's going to happen. So, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, but, no, but I, no. all, all I'm trying to do is to say that Māori is an inclusive Māori, the tikanga for Māori is inclusive. Yeah. Okay, so the the term racism, is it's all about, it's just flying around all over the place. Yeah. You, 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 I mean, I remember back in the day, you, you mentioned apartheid, we were on the streets protesting the Springbok tour in 81, and there was a real, I guess, a, quite a simple understanding of what racism was then, and that was, as we've talked, you know, legalised second-class citizenship. You're inferior. The law says you are. Sorry. Yeah. And that was intolerable for free-thinking yeah. people, and yeah. that's why we're out there. And we identify that as literally racist. Though that seems to have changed now. It's anyone who has a kind of different idea. I'm, I'm just interested to get your idea of that label now and what it actually means. What racism is. Yeah, yeah. And and the well, labelling of people look, as racist. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, Julian Batchelor um, attacks Māori, and that's racist. And the other thing is he's also doing it from a position of power. And I think that that's, you know, that that's um, that's where it's harmful. And, um, and what it does, you know, one of the points I make in that article or that I've written is that one of the, what it does is it feeds into the fear and the ignorance of New Zealanders about, about things Māori. It, and so that, you know, we've got all of these these myths about rangatiratanga being about warriors who fight everybody. Well, that's why he says he doesn't want to be part of a tribal yeah, I know. war. Yeah, yeah, I know. And and yeah. yet he's creating it. He's creating it. You know, his his his, um, his rhetoric is provocative and and it's hateful. And um and 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 it is racist because it's not it's not aimed at white people, it's not aimed at poor people. It's aimed at Māori. And, you know, David Seymour's doing exactly the same, Paul. He, he says exactly the same thing. And, um, and you know, like it, it's, it's as if the treaty doesn't exist or if it exists purely as a tool of col colonialism, purely as a tool to colonise, and it wasn't made to do that. Yeah, um, I think um, uh, people have been debating it, it. Even if it's a re if it's relevant in a modern, I know, I era. know, and have a guess who's saying it's not the <laughs> ones who are in power. They're the no. ones who are saying it's not. And but you know, even even that debate's changing. I I do a lot of work with public servants now, whether you like them or not. Um, but I do a lot of work. Not with great them. fans, I got to say, Bill. Yeah. But anyway, and, carry and, on. And many ways, neither am I. So I think we'd be sitting in the same room with that. But one of the things I'm finding with them is they're not saying to me, why do we have to do the treaty stuff? They're saying, what can we do? Because they know that, you know, the treaty is a, is a giving effect to the treaty is a solution for producing better outcomes for Māori and probably for all people. And they're just wanting to know, so how do we do that? What do we do and how do we do it? And it's not why should we do it. Some might argue that they've already been persuaded on the on the why already. Yeah, yeah, yeah they yeah. they well, whatever ha happened, it wasn't like yeah. that. Um, I moved to Wellington in 1988, and started. I, I was a unionist in those days, and um, and I 
butted heads against a lot of um, public servants. And it was always, why do we have to do that? Why do we have to do that? Why do we have to do that? You know, why honour the treaty? And the reason is that, you know, it was signed in 1840 as a promise of two peoples to take the best possible care of each other. And that hasn't changed. Like, you, you, you don't, what you do with treaties is you honour them. You don't, you don't settle them. You don't, um, you know, relitigate them. You honour them. And, um, and, and generally it's two parties that sit down and, and do that because it's two parties that got together to negotiate the treaty. It wasn't, um, it wasn't just one coming and said, well, this is what the treaty's about, now sign it. That's a declaration. But it's a treaty's a negotiation. It's an agreement. And yet the way, you know, David Seymour is wanting to unilaterally just take it and put it through a crown process without discussion with Māori. And, you know, that's... Well, he can, he can say that, let's face it. He can say that because the, he's not going to be in a position where ultimately he will have enough power to do anything like that, really. Well... Do you think? Well, well, you know, I think one of the things that he says... You know, like he tempers it by saying he wants to go and have a talk about the principles of the treaty. Well, whoopee do. You know, we haven't even agreed what the principles are. And he can do that. He can do that. And he can come back and say, well, look, you know, the majority of New Zealanders say blah, blah, blah about the treaty. Like in 1840, it was a different majority. You know, it was a majority there. So, but that's still, still, that goodwill hasn't changed with Māori. Not at all. The breaches, you know, the breaches of the treaty have all come from the Crown. And, um, and you know, and I'm not saying that Māori be, uh, you know, I'm not, I don't want to gild the lily and say Māori are perfect people. You know, we, we um, you know, we dominate the crime statistics and justice system and, and all of that sort of stuff. And, you know, there are a range of reasons that that is so. And they're not they're not just as easy as, you know, they're they're criminals. I and or they don't want to be educated. You know, I was I was brought up I was brought up um both my parents Māori. And for thirty one years I denied being Māori because mum wanted us all to be the best educated Pakia New Zealanders we could be. We didn't have any real in our home, yet mum and dad were both fluent speakers but it was discouraged. And most of us, we started learning a bit as adults. So you're saying that your parents suppressed basically yeah. who they were. Yeah, yeah, yeah of course. And, they, and they were persuaded to a level, that level, by something. Yeah. But wow. look, and, and but the thing is that, you know, when I was, part of the reason that I denied being Māori for so long was when I, you know, when I was kicking around with my cousins, I was, I was probably too white to be like them, and so okay. I was called Keha. Right. And then by the Parkia people, I was just a bit too brown to be like them. So, I was so you're falling Corey. through the cracks. Well, no, lots of us did. Lots of yeah. us. So this is this is a couple of genera few generations. Yeah. But but what happened was like that, a no man's land. Yeah. Well, sort of. Yeah. We, well, we were the teachers all called us half caste. Oh, I remember those was, days. And yeah. it was never, ever a nice way that they said it to us. 
And then I used to hear what people would say about Maori people. So why the hell would I want to be one of them? You know, if I had a choice, why would I? Because they didn't say anything good about them. And it took me until I was 32 that I thought, wow, I've missed out on all of this. And my kids are going to miss out on it if I don't do something about it. I can't imagine what it would be like, Bill, you describing that, being, you know, ashamed of yourself not because of anything you've done or created, but because that's that's kind of the feeling that that is imposed on you, and I'm sure you're not the only one. Yeah, that's quite crushing. It is, yeah, and yeah. and particularly when you know when I look around and I see some of my generation, um, you know, some of my peer who who were brought up in a Maori speaking house. The the biggest thing is I you know, I didn't know my Maori until I was thirty five. And I lived up the road from one of them. I didn't know I belonged to it. I didn't know yeah, anything right. like that. Crikey. Okay. And, um, you know, and I can remember um, as a kid going on to one of our marae, not knowing it was my marae, and because we, we would just happen to be there with a family and there was an accident outside and we just had to get this person laid down and, you know, Dad was a St. John's person and he and we just used the marae just to rest him until we got the ambulance there. Mm. I didn't know that was my marae. Didn't have a right. clue. Yeah, I, I knew it was Amariah, but I didn't know much about it. And um, yeah. So, so so when you sort of made <laughs> the connection at thirty five, and that's you put on a few years by thirty five. Yeah. What was that like then? It must have been well, like some sort of release or some sort of connect well, feeling of connection. I'm curious. Yeah. Well, I was I was a principal of a school, right? And I decided that that job was too heavy, too much. And I went back to becoming just an, a, a scale A teacher, so just as I could learn to do Māori and just do that stuff. So I made quite a brief career change to do that. I was in that for two years, and I hated those mongrels who were above me, so I went for <laughs> another principal's job, and I got it, and I changed yeah. that. That changed my thinking, but it just got me thinking a lot about um, a lot about being Māori. What does it mean? Um, I was became active in the union movement and that's about when the um council of trade unions was was formed when it from the old days of um psa and what 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 were the combined state unions and um and ken douglas's lot um yeah and when they joined and there was a quite a strong maori quite strong maori unionist there and i was influenced a wee bit by by some of them who you know who they were going through the same journeys that I was. Um, people like you're familiar with Sid Jackson. Yep, I remember Sid, the, the name and the and the character. Yeah, yeah, yeah well, personally, he, but yeah, yeah. He he was he Sid Jackson was brother Moana, and and a number of other unionists who um who influenced me to think that you know actually you've got some stuff good stuff there, and so I became quite active and. In, in Māori development, I learned about the treaty and I learned about the real and I visited my marae and said hello to all of my rallies and ate a bit more puha and <laughs> all that sort of stuff. Yeah. 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 But, you know, like I, I was always um, mum and dad, you know, who were brought up, you know, as Māori and, um, you know, they were all, all always food gatherers. And so, you know, we'd always pick puha and watercress and pickle pickle and go fishing and and do, doing all of that sort of stuff. 
and we were always had a house that always had aunties and uncles who'd come in and they'd stay with us. And so we, you know, we had a lot of that. We call it tanga. We had a lot of whānau without really understanding. But we did notice that the houses next door, you know, who had, um, who were mainly Pākehā people, they didn't have these people who'd come in and, you know, come in and stay. And, no, because the know. family units are smaller. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, well, they they're more and, insular and, they, and compressed. They're, yeah, and they didn't sure. stay either. You know, yeah. quite often, um, you know, there, there might have been a bit of a fight between my auntie and my uncle. And so my auntie would pack all the kids in the car and three o'clock in the morning, there'd be a knock on the door and they'd come in and I'd end up with a five or a six-year-old pissing in my bed and, <laughs> you know, yeah. fill the bed because they didn't have any other place to sleep. So we through, might have been three or four of us kids in the bed and, at the same yeah. time. And, and, you know, and that happened regularly, you know, and I can see the context of it now that I've, you know, it was just a way of being, but we didn't know that that's how Māori people live. We thought that, you know, perhaps every family lived like that, but they didn't, of course. But, um, you know, so that was a bit of a revelation a revelation for me. For those who, um, are, you know, are nervous about, again, back to the co-governance, the, the whole thing of Three Waters has, has been a huge issue and it's been, you know, bumping along, whatever you want to call it, for quite some time, everyone putting their all in. Um, should the average Kiwi have any fear at all about access to fundamental life-giving things like water? I mean, is there any concept of ownership in water, like, or or any resource like that? Because that's the that that's where people no, get no. exercised about this, right? No, no. The ones who will do that are capitalists. They are the ones who will do that. Won't be Māori. The, the, the concept between Māori and the land is we belong to the land. Right. The concept of Britain and land is land belongs to us. Okay. Well, that's 180 degrees difference. Well, the other, no, but the thing is that we, I, I don't, I don't think we have, once again, it's talking about ripping your heart open and having the conversations. How can those two things live together? And we haven't had those conversations. We, how, we, how do they live together? Well, I don't know. We'll have to. We have to talk about it. Do you think we can find a way for them? Well, to live we've together? managed to do it with fish. You know, I I always tell a story when I'm treaty uh, when I'm doing my treaty workshops that my mum would be rolling over in her grave to think that people could own fish, that fish could become property, and you can say, "I own fifteen thousand tons of fish." Yeah. That would that's we were, how the hell can you own something that swims in an ocean that's bigger than you? And yet we've managed to we've managed to work out a way of doing it. How can you own water? You know, and the only reason we talk about owning water is when we want to sell it. And 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 that sort of thing. It's water's there, you know, but but we give it a property right and then we start selling. Property rights was one of the things that came from the Magna Carta. Yeah. And um, and it's one of the things that came into the treaty. It's the second part of Article 2 of the treaty. That's where property rights is. We gave the Crown an authority to buy land that we didn't need. So, yeah. I'm sure you've travelled a bit around in your time. I have as well, been to all sorts of different countries. And, okay, we're not the perfect setup, probably by any measure, and... People on all sides would have their view on that and their their niggles with that. 
Are we doing okay, though? With, look, Paul, as long as the statistics for Māori are significantly different than for non-Māori, we're not. You know, and we can use a comparison by saying, oh, we, you know, we live longer than Aboriginal people do. Or we get better access to education than the um, Aboriginals in Canada do or whatever. We can say that. But that's not, that's not you know, this land is our land. It's, the comparison should be how do we, how, how do we, how do we, as neighbours, how do we, how do we do this stuff together? When, when you talk about, you know, th- those things that, that are not in balance, let's say. Yeah. Health is one thing. Now I can say um, on this program, we have had the most incredible health geniuses in the world, not just here, in the world, yeah. telling us how you get healthy. And it's yeah. actually not that difficult. So that can be easily addressed yeah. with the right approach. So that's not rocket science in the end. The other thing is crime and disadvantage. That's glaringly obvious. You mentioned it just before. I mean, will we ever find a way to sort that out once and for all, do you think? Is it possible? And and how? And you don't have to reinvent well, the world right now. Right no, here, no, but- no. But, but I... Um, the National Iwi Chairs has a vision for this country that sits above a constitution or hangs off a constitution, and the vision is that all whānau will achieve their potential. Now, you know, I think that's a great vision, that all whānau will achieve their potential, that they, that you know, and if and we can look at potential um, through a whole lot of um, philosophical ways, we can look at it through... Um, the stuff that Maslow designed so that we'll, we could say that all whānau will be well-fed, they'll be safe, they'll have good relationships, they'll have self-esteem and then they'll self-realise. They can, you know, they can use it that way or you can use it. Um, there's a Māori framework that's based on on um, genealogy or whakapapa mm-hmm. and that talks about, um, you know, the growth of potential and um and and the thing is that when you have those two things working together you know we can have a good understanding of how potential can work because potential you know if if i were if i were to describe you know a good you know what would be a good thing for my grandchildren i would want them to know where their marae is i want them to have a good job I'd want them to be able to speak te reo. I'd want them to be able to speak any other language they want to as well, if they have a desire to do that. You know, just all of those universal basic rights that I would want for them. And if I want that for my grandchildren, I would want it for your grandchildren. Hmm. So, you know, and that's, and that's it. But we have got, we have got some, um, I think we've got easy conversations to have but they're hard to get to the table to have those conversations. See, yeah. you know, like you and I just had this little bit about the difference between um, owning the water and or owning the land and, and belonging yeah. to the land. Now, that is the start of a conversation. Easy, very easy. That is a very easy to understand concept. Yeah, but but getting into that conversation on how those two things work mm. is a longer conversation. Hmm. It's a hundred cups of tea. No, yeah, right. I see that's the, the article um, that comes up in the article, but that's the conversation starter. 
Yes. Yeah. And, and, you know, like the conversation starter can be bigger than that. Because, you know, if we were to take, for example, the two texts of the treaty, the English text talks about sovereignty and the Māori text talks about tenoranga teratanga. Now, the question is, how can those two things work together? Let's put all the is legal... that what you mean by shared citizenship? Yeah, no, I don't use that shared citizenship. Oh, okay, I, I saw it somewhere. I, I just wondered if it was attributed yeah, no, to you. No, okay. no, no. I, um, I think for Māori, you know, because we're here, and this is just a characteristic, characteristic of indigeneity, is that, you know, you're always going to have a relationship with your marae. You're always, it's always going to be there. It doesn't matter whether you're born wherever you are. Yep. And so that'll be part of your identity. The other part of your identity is you're always going to be subject to the Crown's laws and, you know, all the responsibilities of obeying the law and stuff like that. Um, and Or changing it if you don't like the laws. You, you know, you can have a crack at changing it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you're always going to be part of it. And that's those... So you've got these tangata whenua rights, which you you have to have whakapapa to have them, you know, which is your right to te reo, your right to, um, you know, to, to a tangihanga, your right to waiata and your stories and all that. They, you belong to the, they belong to you, you belong to them. and But you've got to have whakapapa to do that. So that, for example, I don't have a right to the ngaitahu stories or the ngaitahu history. They do. Ngaitahu yeah. people do. But I do have a right to the Kahungunu history or the Ngaraudu history or the or the Ngati Rokawa history because, you know, that's been my right from day. And then in, a, in addition to that, I have all the rights and responsibilities of a citizen, as we all do. What do you, what do you make? We're coming to the end of this chat. It's been great to talk with you, Bill, so thanks for coming on. But um, what did you make of what Winston Peters said about Indigeneity. Oh, for goodness! Look, he was—he's—he. He, I don't know why he's doing that sort of stuff. Oh, I do. He—he he is just trying to out. You know, he's trying to out. Um, it, is there it, anything in it though? Because yeah. you could make a technical argument for it, couldn't you? Um, I mean, I don't want to get twisted up on this, but he said it, so you know. Naturally, I get your yeah. view. Well, I—I, I, yeah, I, it's nonsense, and he's doing it for a headline. He's doing it because he knows that there's a there's a redneck bunch of people out there look I've, I've just come off a, i've come off a zoom just come off the zoom talking to or listening to a couple of the candidates murray candidates up in the north and there but one's one went to a um one went to a democracy um meeting in in um dargaville a democracy soon, nz yeah yeah and as soon yep. as she opened her mouth and started to speak murray they yelled her down another one went to a place where a thing in kirikiri another event in Kerikiri, and um, they were welcomed by the Tangata Whenua, and as soon as she wanted to acknowledge the that mihi back to them, she got yelled at and screamed at and all the rest of it. Now, you know, that... Yeah, that's not a good look. I no, agree. well, it, and, and she did nothing to provoke, you know, th those two women, mm. I know both of them, um, and they would do nothing to provoke anything like that. Um, and, you know, they just happened to be Māori who wanted to acknowledge being Māori and all the rest of it. There was some talk, um, you know, that that what what's being experienced now, because, you know, Māori went through a period of time where, you know, it was honour the treaty, honour the treaty, honour the treaty, and it, and it was, and then, you know, and then there was a period of time when a lot of Māori said the treaty's a fraud. 
And that was about the 1970s because things were pretty rough then for Māori in, in those days. Hmm. And then and then it's back to honour the treaty, honour the treaty. But that, that period, and some people are saying that some of this rhetoric being caused by, you know, by Julian Batchelor is, um, is taking us back to those days there. Okay. Um, it's been great chatting with you. Thank you for coming on to our program. Um, You're and, most welcome, Paul. And it's really been interesting. I want to tell you this, though, from a Pākehā New Zealander who hasn't delved too much into the Māori world. But I'll tell you this, because um, I operate a charity, and it's to bring old aeroplanes back to New Zealand. I call it Bring Our Birds Home. An old Māori mate of mine gave me the Māori phrase for that, which is whakahoki a mai o tātou, manu ki te kainga. Oh, I sign every, and I deal with a lot of people overseas, I sign every email with that at the end. Yeah. And I can feel the mana of it. Yeah, yeah. Am, yeah, well, am I right? Yep, yeah, you're dead right about that. And the way it's expressed in it is, is right. Because um, uh, when, yeah, and I, I think there's a word called Modi, M-A-U-R-I. Yep. And that's a life force. And when you understand the words you're using and the values you're using, that is what comes out. It's the modi of that stuff. And, um, you know, whakahokia to manu, I, I forget what it is, but, you know, the returning of the birds and it's 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 beautiful. To home. It, yeah, yeah, to home, yeah. Yeah, to get to kainga, yeah, to home, yeah. So it's a beautiful. Um, I, I can feel the punch of concept. it. Yeah, yeah. You know, it yeah. carries a punch. You know, Paul, the worst part about it is that, you know, and I, I'm an ex-teacher, and um, and I, I keep looking at the education system, and I keep thinking, why aren't you teaching all New Zealanders about who we are? You know, there, there's a concept called. Tu- are you familiar with a concept called Tūranga Waiwai? Yep. Okay, it's about belonging. Yep. And and it's not just belonging. Um, but Tūranga, it, it's a stand, it's, you know, the, the literal translation is a standing place or place where you put your feet. But because you plant your feet there, you've got a set of rights, you've got a set of responsibilities, and you've got some icons that sit around that place yeah. that is where you are. And we haven't had those conversations. Sorry, I didn't mean to wag. I'm like a bloody teacher wagging my finger at you. My apologies. <laughs> but we no worries, the, those... It's audio only. No one sees it. Yeah. So we haven't we haven't had those conversations about how important those icons are to the place that we belong. I, you know, when when the Christchurch earthquake happened in 2011, I think it was. Um, yes, it was. Yeah. yeah, a lot of Christchurch people felt it wasn't their Christchurch when the when the cathedral was shattered. That's an and example of, the, of that, right? That's an example of an icon. But yeah. an icon can be just your grandmother's grave. And they wanted it back. Yeah, they no wanted what. it back. And, and you know, Jim Anderton was one of the biggest advocates for it, and he wasn't even an Anglican. He was a practicing Catholic. Yeah. So, um, you know, so that's that's how important. The icons are the things that make your heart go pitter-patter. And we haven't had the conversation to talk about how important those things are to our lives as New Zealanders. Okay. Let's say you had the opportunity in a, in a good way to sit down with like okay julian bachelor what would 
How, how would that conversation go, do you think? Um, what I, would you I, say? That, I mean, not, you could do, yeah. in the end, you've got to be able to do business in the end, right? Yeah. I'd, um, I, I, I would probably, I, I tried to organise a Zoom with David Seymour. Okay. And it was just, it was impossible for me. And I don't get angry very easily, but I just got really frustrated with, he was so positional and and I think that's one of the um, I think that's one of the um, bad features of democracy. You know, you you take a position and you argue your position for three years. I'm right or I'm wrong, or I'm right or you're wrong. And um, and I found him very positional. And and he he said I'm a clever man. And he told he's me an engineer. That. He's an engineer. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's a, yeah, he's an engineer. He told me they that. can th- see things though in a very machine technical way. So yeah, and and I accepted that. But he couldn't see, you know, he just wanted to argue all the time rather than engage in a conversation. And and I'm not sure. I've, I've read Julian Baxter's stuff and, and a couple of those dudes that he has in there who wrote those books with him. I, I got them, when I was in the Human Rights Commission, I got them on a panel and they were just an absolute wasted space. They were just, I got them on because they felt they were being ignored in the constitutional discussion that was being run by the Crown. And so with Susan DeVore, we brought them in and we listened to them. But they just they they weren't in a position to listen to anybody. And um and I'd you know, if I was to meet with Julian Batchelor, I'd want to do it face to face. I certainly wouldn't want to do it over the air. Um and you know, and I'd I'd sort of want a third person there just to put some rules around it, because I think the the stuff he writes about is hateful. And I don't want that to bring all the bad out in me. So Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's been great chatting with you. Thanks for coming YouTube, on Reality Paul. Check Radio to Hulu okay. Bill Hamilton. And, and good luck for the rest of the um, for the rest of your programs. And it sounds like you're going great guns at the moment. So kia kaha, kia yeah, thank kia you so, mano anui. Thank you so much for that. And it's great to get, like I say, we want to see it from every angle. We really do. And let people work it out for themselves without the hype and the rhetoric as much as possible. Cool. Okay. Talk okay, soon. Okay, then. Bye-bye. RCR with Paul Brennan. Reality Check Radio.